All right, good morning, everybody. There's some folks are still trickling in, but we're going to get uh, going with things this morning. Uh, this is also the service that we'll make available online. So good morning to all of you, or good afternoon, I guess, to all of you who will watch um, later today as well. But man, uh, who is glad to be here together in person and not watching this at home on your TV? Yeah. Um, very, very excited. Personally, I uh, have loved this morning uh, not preaching to a camera. Um, that has been great to have faces and to have um, people in the room. We are incredibly glad to have you here today. Um, if you had told me three months ago that it would be two or three weeks that we might not be able to gather together as a church family for worship, I would have said, well, that's possible but unlikely. Uh, and if you had told me it would be two to three months, I probably just would have called you crazy. Like, there's absolutely no way that could happen. And yet here we are, uh, over three months later, since we have gathered together in person as a church family. Uh, and it's been incredible to be able to do that again um, today. So uh, here in the room, those of you who are here, we have more seats set up than we need. Um, and the registration for these services is full, but we have more seats than we need. We just ask that you leave at least a two-seat gap in between groups. So sit together as a family, but between groups, uh, we try to leave a gap as best uh, as we can, uh, just to make sure we maintain good uh, distancing from within each other. Uh, Mike Bostwick from the YMCA was here in the second service this morning, but we are so grateful to the YMCA. They've been willing to uh, reopen their doors as uh, to us, as, as they have been able to reopen as well um, over the last few weeks. But for those of you or maybe joining us for the first time, uh, either online or here this morning. Uh, so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Um, we've made the Next Steps cards available on your seat this morning. Uh, if you're new with us or if you worship with us regularly, these are the number one way that we stay in communication with our church family. So uh, maybe you have three months worth of prayer requests uh, that you've not had a chance to share, and that's okay. We hope you'll use that card this morning. Uh, but especially if you're looking to get more connected within our church family, use that. Those of you watching online, uh, there's a Next Steps card attached to this video. If you're watching on Vimeo, you can go to our website, crosscommunity.org, click the Next Steps box as you come to the homepage, and you can find the online Next Steps card there um, as well. Use these to communicate with our staff, learn about how you can get more connected within uh, our church family, and let us follow up with you throughout the course of the week. Um, we uh, have not made available, as we normally do on the seats, uh, the giving envelopes. Uh, the vast majority of our giving is online, but those of you who may uh, desire to give by cash or check, there's uh, envelopes available in the back corner of the room, the giving tower. You can also drop off completed Next Steps cards there. But church, I just want to celebrate here for just a second. I hope you'll celebrate this with me. Um, it's been amazing over the last few months. We have actually seen our giving and our generosity as a church family increase since we've not been meeting together in person. Can we just celebrate and praise God for that today? Um, and there, there's not nearly enough time to, together this morning to, to lay out everything that that has meant for our church family, but there are a number of families we were able to assist who just who fell in really difficult times uh, over the last few months through benevolence. Uh, we saw our benevolence giving especially just, just be uh, go up significantly, and that was amazing. I've been able to, to partner with a couple of local ministries and outreach efforts, um, and all of that has been possible because of how faithfully you have continued uh, to give. Going to share a couple more wins on that at the end of our time together this morning. Uh, but I just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much just for how you have continued to honor the Lord uh, with your faithfulness and with your generosity. Um, and we, we've added a couple of staff members we'll introduce to you at the end of our, our time together today as well. And so much that's happening uh, that we celebrate. But we're glad to have you here for worship. Again, our time uh, together will be short. We get to be a little bit longer with this service because there's not a service coming up after you. So I don't know, maybe that means for you, you came to the wrong service. You wanted the short one, but uh, we'll, we'll still, I know we've got kids in the room, um, but uh, last but not least, would all of the dads in the room just slip up your hand real quick so we can celebrate and honor you. Praise God. Thank you, dads, um, for being here. 
for leading your children to, to follow the Lord. We, we are grateful for the opportunity to worship with you um, today. But that being said, why don't you go ahead and stand up with me together this morning. Uh, we'll have here a call to worship. We'll join together in song, and then we'll be opening up God's word today in John uh, 15. But let's worship together. Amen. Well, will you guys uh, read the response with me as uh, we go to the word? Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Amen. God, uh, we come before you today just thankful um, for many things, but today we are thankful that we are together. We've been worshiping together apart for quite some time, but today we are worshiping together under, under one roof, and we thank you for the unity uh, that comes with that. May we just worship in, in this unity, and that may it be pleasing to you uh, for, as, as we worship you for all the great things that you've done for us, uh, the least of which is not that you sent your son. Uh, to this earth while we were enemies of you, that he died uh, on a cross, a uh, sinner's death for us on, in, in our place uh, so that we could come back to you. And we worship and praise you and adore you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Break every chain, oh God, you have done great. 
praise. Amen. We sing it again. Hallelujah. Amen. Good morning. So welcome, welcome. My name is Ashton Commerce. I'm one of the elders here. Today we're going to be reading from John 15, 5. So please read with me. The words are right behind me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this time to worship you with one another, with brothers and sisters, Lord, lifting our voices together, our hearts focused on you. We just pray that you uh, just bring your wisdom and guidance upon us. Lord, we ask for forgiveness, and we just pray that this time and uh, we would just glorify your name together. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to John uh, chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 17 today. And uh, if you're joining with us here today for the first time, online for the first time, uh, today we are closing one chapter, starting another one. We are uh, starting a chapter by regathering as a church family. We're closing a chapter on a seven-week message series we've been in uh, called I Am, where we've been looking at uh, seven statements made by Jesus in the Gospel of John about who he is. So over the last six weeks, we have seen that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. Last week, we saw that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And today, we're going to close out with a claim made by Jesus in John 15 that he is the true vine. Now, uh, having grown up, spent my entire life within the church, descended from a long line of ministers on my dad's side, I've spent my entire uh, adult life in local church ministry of the last 16 years. Um, the one question I have personally wrestled with the most as a follower of Jesus in my own spiritual journey, and uh, the question I've helped others navigate most in their own spiritual journey, is the question of knowing how can I know if I'm truly saved? 
How can I know that I am truly connected to Jesus, that I have truly found salvation in Jesus? Last week, uh, Cole Forrest, our student minister, walked us through John 14 and the claim made by Jesus that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Cole's final point was uh, a very controversial but nonetheless true point that Jesus Christ is exclusive. It is through Christ and through Christ alone that we have any hope whatsoever of finding eternal life. And so if that's true, then I think a question that would naturally follow is, if Christ is our one and only hope of salvation, then how can I know that I've been truly saved? So today we're gonna answer that question in John 15. Jesus says that he is the true vine and those who are truly his will be marked by lives that bear the fruit of his presence. So let's read the word of the Lord here together from John 15 verses one through six. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you were clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now just to help us a little bit with the context of this claim that's made by Jesus, all throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, are frequently referred to as a vineyard. And in the book of Isaiah, we find two uh, what are known as vineyard psalms or songs. This is Isaiah 5 and Isaiah 27. And in Isaiah 5, we see that the Lord had gone to great lengths to build his vineyard. But as he went to inspect the vineyard, as he went to look at the vine, he found uh, that it had only yielded wild grapes. So in Isaiah, in Isaiah 5, 5 through 7, he pronounces his judgment on the nation uh, through the prophet. He says, And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and the briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Now, this prophecy is pointing forward to the words of Jesus in John 15, where he's calling himself the true vine, and by doing this, he's identifying himself as the true Israel, and he is distinguishing himself from every false vine. So no longer are we marked as God's people by genealogical birth through Abraham, but by spiritual rebirth in Christ. That means that the father as the vine dresser doesn't only attend to ethnic Israel, he tends to those who have been united to him by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus is speaking these words, for centuries, the false vine of religious corruption had yielded the bad fruit of spiritual hypocrisy. But understand, even in light of that, of of seeing the bad fruit and looking at the words of the prophets, looking at the words of Jesus, the message here is not simply go and bear more fruit. Because we're ultimately not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the outworking of that faith in Jesus results in work. So we are not saved by our works, we are saved for work. And this is why the statement that Jesus makes in verse 3 is so important. He says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
So just a couple chapters earlier in John 13, Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. And this was symbolic to show the necessity of having their sins washed away, of being clean from their sin. And he says it's through his word, it's through the message of the gospel of the kingdom, ultimately they are made clean. So that's why the message here is not just go and bear more fruit, because we will not bear fruit for Christ until we believe and have faith in Christ. It's first we believe, and by believing we abide, and when we abide, we will bear fruit. All of these disciples, with the exception of Judas, have believed in Jesus, and because of this, they are made clean and forgiven, which is why Jesus does not give them an instruction to work. He extends an invitation to abide. This is what he calls us into. Abide in me, and I in you. By using this word abide, Jesus is saying, stay with me. Remain with me, dwell with me, make your home with me. Those who believe in Christ are to abide in Christ. And we see first from John 15 that those who abide in Christ will bear much fruit. We will bear much fruit. Verses four and five, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is just one of those great passages of scripture where uh, the, illustra- the words given here by Jesus are also the illustration and don't really require a whole lot of explanation. I mean, it's pretty simple. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He says, connected to me, you will bear fruit. Disconnected from me, you will not bear fruit. The branches that do bear fruit, I'll prune them so that they begin to bear more fruit. And while it's not been given to mankind, it's not been given to me as a pastor, not been given to you as followers of Jesus or any human being, it's not been given to us to make the ultimate pronouncement and judgment on who is saved and who is not. Scripture does show us from start to finish that we can discern true believers from false believers and we can discern uh, true teachers from false teachers based on the fruit that they bear. So in, in Isaiah 5, Israel is not producing fruit. He goes to inspect the vine, the father is the vine dresser, goes to look at the vine, and he does not find the fruit that he wanted to find. And what is the fruit that he wanted to find? This is what Isaiah says in verse 7. It says, he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. He looked for the fruit of righteousness and justice, but he found None. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit because so much that's happening in our world right now, we, we need to understand what is being expressed there in verse 7. So aside from the Old Testament prophets, this stage was set through the ministry of John the Baptist. So John is preaching the message of repentance in the wilderness. People are coming to him in droves to be baptized. He says in Matthew 3, 8, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So again, it's not just bear fruit, it's bear fruit out of a heart that's reborn in Christ. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is fully carried out by Jesus in Matthew 7. He says that we can tell a true prophet from a false prophet in the same way we tell a good tree from a bad tree by looking at its fruit. And what is the fruit? What is the fruit that would mark a true believer from a false believer? What is the fruit that would mark a true teacher from a false teacher? Paul tells us what this is in Galatians 5, 19 through 22, where he compares and contrasts the works of the spirit and the works of the flesh. Now he says in in verse 19, Galatians 5, he says, the works of the flesh are evident. 
So Paul says there there are things that are evidently clear. These are not of the Lord. This is the work of the sinful flesh. He says these things are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these because Paul knows how creative we can be with our sin. Those are the works of the flesh. Paul says those things are evident. This is not of the Lord. This is the work of the sinful flesh. But then he lays out for us the fruit of the Spirit. This is the natural overflow of the branch that is abiding in the vine. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. How much do we need this word in the 21st century? Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness. Another word we need, gentleness. Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul says this fruit does nothing to violate the kingdom initiative of God. And those who belong to Jesus Christ, this is such an important distinction, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's why it's not enough for us just to go say, go and bear more fruit, because that's a message of works-based salvation. Church, we will not bear the fruit of the Spirit until we have crucified the works of our flesh. Until we have died with Christ, been crucified with Christ, it's only then that we're going to begin bearing the fruit of the kingdom. So you ask the question, how can I know if I am a healthy branch that's abiding in the true vine? Well, the answer here from, from what we see in, in God's word is, is, do we bear the fruit of the spirit or are we walking in the works of the flesh? So church, this is a call for us to examine ourselves to be honest with ourselves. I mean, just look at your life, look at your regular patterns of activity, your interactions with others, your relationships, your passions and desires. For heaven's sake, let's evaluate social media and just ask very honestly, like, does this demonstrate the fruit of the spirit or am I walking in the works of the flesh? Because there's a warning that comes from Jesus here in verse six that we absolutely cannot ignore. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Church, these are not the words of some angry fundamentalist backwoods preacher. These are the words of Jesus. This is a serious and sobering call to examine ourselves and honestly ask the question, am I walking in the fruit of the Spirit or am I walking in the works of the flesh? Which one of these marks your life? Because those who abide in Christ, the natural overflow is that we will bear the fruit of his Spirit. As the vine dresser inspects the vine, just ask as you look at your life, even as we look at our church, what is the fruit that he's finding? And the invitation today is that we, by faith and repentance, can crucify the works of our flesh along with its passions and desires so that we can begin bearing the fruit of the Spirit as we abide in the true vine. And there's a great promise if we'll abide in the vine. This is what we find in verse 7 from Jesus. He says, if you abide in me, so this is conditional, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, wow, and it will be done for you. So those who abide in Christ will bear much fruit. And second, those who abide in Christ will pray in faith. Jesus says in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But that condition there is important. If you abide in him. So this is conditional. If you abide in him, because if we're not abiding in Christ, then we have absolutely no claim on his promises and his provision. But even at that, we need to talk for just a moment about those words, ask whatever you wish. 
right? Because this is not ask whatever you wish as in, hey, just ask for whatever you want and God's going to make it happen for you. I've got some very unhealthy extremes going down that road. If we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us, what starts to happen is his desires become our desires and his wishes become our wishes. This is uh, probably one of the most misquoted passages of scripture that's circulating within the modern church uh, is uh, Psalm 37, 4, very famous Psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now notice that that verse does not say he will give you whatever your heart desires. It starts with delighting yourself in the Lord. When you have delighted yourself in the Lord, you have found your contentment and your satisfaction in the Lord, what starts to happen is your desires change. Your wishes change. Your will begins to change as it conforms to the image of Jesus Christ. I I try to remind our church family at least a couple times a year, y'all, like this is why the advice, follow your heart, is like the worst advice you could possibly ever give anyone. Scripture says our hearts are wicked. I mean, our hearts are fickle. They're unpredictable. They're, they're changing. And, and apart from Christ, they will lead us all sorts of destructive directions. And so much wrong, so much sin has been committed in the name of following our hearts. We are called to delight ourselves in the Lord. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, our desires begin to change. Our passions begin to change. Our wishes begin to change. And they become his. Which is why Jesus says, you can pray confidently for what you wish and it will be granted. Because if we wish for what God wishes, if our will is aligned with his will, we can be confident that his will will be done as we pray. Church, let's not overcomplicate this. Prayer is God is asking God to do what he's already promised us he will do. When we ask in faith, accordance to his word, if God has promised it to his people, his people can pray it with confidence to the Father. As I reflected on this passage over the last week and a half, um, you know, I just wonder, man, how different would my prayer life look? How different might your prayer life look, the prayer life of our church look? How different might it look if we truly believed that Jesus was the vine, that we were the branches, and that apart from him, we could do absolutely nothing? How different would it look? How different would our lives look if we truly believed that if we are abiding in him and his word is abiding in us, that we can ask whatever we wish with the confidence that it will be done for us? You know, there's a lot that's happening in our world today that has Christians rightly saying, you know, hey, I don't just want to pray, I want to do something. Yes and amen. Like our, our, our words and our faith should always be backed up with our actions. But while we absolutely need to do more than pray, we can absolutely not ever do less than pray. We tend to think of prayer as just a setup for, for something bigger, but this is how Oswald Chambers said it so well years ago. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. If apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, then the most important work we can commit ourselves is the work of prayer that then compels us into action in his power. And this is necessary because if we're prayerless, we're powerless. Apart from him, we can do nothing. With him, we can do anything. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Jesus goes on in verse eight. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So here's Jesus just doubling down on this once again. Church, we have to reject every notion of a truncated gospel that would just tell you that the message of the gospel is about praying a prayer, asking Jesus into your heart, being forgiven of your sins so that you can die and go to heaven. Like that, that is only a, a small, that's only the starting point of the gospel. Jesus makes so clear to us through his words here that believing in him is not just about salvation for eternity to come. It's about bearing fruit for his kingdom in the here and now. The evidence that we have truly been united to Christ is that we are bearing the fruit of his spirit in our lives. Verse 9, he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So those who abide in Christ will bear much fruit, will pray in faith, and third, will know true joy. How much does Jesus love us? Have you ever tried to quantify this? Because he, he actually answers the question for us here in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We just, just sit on that for just a moment. How much does Jesus love us? Jesus' love for us is as great as the love that the Father has for him. I mean, dads, like, what a, what a great passage for us here on Father's Day in particular. I mean, just think about your own kids, how much you love your own kids. I mean, even on their very worst day, you know, like parent, parents, we go through this weird dynamic where, you know, it's, it's 7.30 at night. We're like, man, I can't wait for the kids to go to bed. And then they go to bed at 8, and then by 8.30, you're like, man, I kind of miss my kids. Right? Like, we, we just very quickly, we just, we just have this love for our, our kids, even on our worst day. Like, man, they're, they're ours, and we love them. And you, you compare this to the work of the gospel. I mean, all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our rebellion and rejection of God, to know that Jesus in that moment still loves us with the same love that the Father has for him. And this is the foundation of our joy. It's this loving, intimate relationship with Christ. We abide with him, we remain with him, we dwell with him, we make our home with him, and the fruit of our abiding is that we will keep his commandments. This is probably one of the more confusing subjects that we encounter as followers of Jesus, the relationship between faith and works, or as Jesus expresses it here, uh, the relationship between abiding and obeying. So again, we know that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But then Ephesians 2.10 goes on to say, uh, we are called to participate in works that God has prepared for us as followers of Jesus. So if we're not careful, this is what we'll do. We'll drift uh, to the extreme of rebellion that says, hey, I don't really need to do any works because God loves me and I'm saved by grace. So I don't, I, I've prayed my prayer. Uh, I've asked Jesus into my heart and forgiven my sins. I'm good. That's really all that I need to do because I'm saved by grace and not of works. That's the extreme of rebellion. But we could also drift to the extreme of religion, which says I need to work so that I can stay in God's grace. So then we're driven by fear. Or we're driven by guilt or we're driven by shame. But the gospel blows up both of these extremes. The gospel blows up the extreme of rebellion because it says, if you truly abide, then you will obey. But it also blows up the extreme of religion because it says you do not have to obey in order to abide. You don't work for the salvation, but once we are saved, there is a work that we have been called to participate in through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we abide in Christ and we're connected to the true vine, obedience becomes the natural overflow of a heart that loves him. Let me, let me frame it like this. Uh, Emily's birthday was last month, and um, you know every relationship is different, every marriage is different, but uh, there are a few telltale signs I could know within our marriage and our relationship that maybe things aren't going well. Uh, so let's say when it comes to her, her birthday, um, that I've not getting, gotten her a gift at all. You know, it's the day before, which, you know, that's never happened, right? And so um, it's, I need to get a gift for her for her birthday. But all I can think of is like, gosh, I better get Emily a gift or she's not going to love me anymore. Well, then I'm being motivated by, maybe that's true. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But uh, she, she would love me still. But uh, that's, that's kind of unhealthy if I'm just being motivated by fear. It's like, well, gosh, I better buy her something so she doesn't hate me. That's, that's unhealthy, but I could also go to another unhealthy extreme of not buying her a gift because I'm like, well, she'll love me anyway. 
Like we're married, we made a covenant together. I shouldn't have to buy gifts to prove my love for her. Like I'm not, I'm not married because of the gifts I give her. I'm married because I'm the greatest gift she could have, right? Like that's, that's unwise gentlemen, right? Like that's not a good approach. Another unhealthy extreme would be like, well, I don't really need to buy her a gift because I don't feel like she's done enough for me. Right, so the first unhealthy extreme is, is one that's rooted in guilt and fear. The second is me taking advantage of the covenant relationship that we have. And the third is unhealthy because suddenly it's conditional. So again, every relationship's different, every marriage is different. For, for ours, that would be a sign like something's off here. And none of that actions as it relates to our relationship with the Lord. And none of that reflects the love that the Father has for the Son or the love of the Son for us. I buy the gift for Emily out of the loving overflow of being in a covenant relationship with her. I'm not motivated by fear or guilt. I'm, I'm not motivated by, uh, I, I, I buy it not because, you know, I feel like I'm obligated to. I do it just because I love her. Like, you don't have to force me to do this. You don't have to ask me to do it. You don't have to begrudgingly drag myself into this. And this is the relationship between faith and works that we have with the Lord. We don't obey because we feel guilty, because we're fearful. And we don't, with, we don't refrain from obeying just because we're like, well, you know, he's obligated to love me anyway, and, and I'm not saved by works, I don't really feel like I need to. No, the natural overflow of a heart that is well rested in Jesus Christ is that we will bear fruit of his spirit. This is how John goes on to say it later in his epistle, 1 John 1, 5. He says, by this we, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So Jesus calls us to abide. And the way we abide is by walking in obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance to what he has commanded. Church, here is the good news for us. God's word will never command us to do what his spirit will not supply. And his word will never lead us to do anything that will not lead to our ultimate lasting joy. You know, sometimes I think we, we look at the commandments of scripture and we see them as restrictive. Like this is just God being mean and trying to keep me from having fun. No, like these are the, the, the guardrails that he's given so that we can continue to walk safely in loving, intimate, faithful relationship with him. And this obedience isn't burdensome because Jesus Christ has already executed with perfect obedience every single letter of the law of God's word. And then by his Holy Spirit, he empowers us to walk in obedience to all that God commands, which is why John says this is not burdensome because Christ has carried the burden for us. As we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit and we'll pray in faith and we will know the true joy of loving, intimate relationship with him that is expressed through the overflow of bearing the fruit of his spirit. Our desire is to be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, 48, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. When was the last time we saw a command of scripture and said, man, I love that? I'm grateful. I want to lift my hands. Today. I want to be grateful and, and express my worship and thanksgiving and gratitude to the Lord who has clearly revealed to me what it looks like to walk in loving, intimate relationship with him. So what does Jesus then turn around and command to his disciples here in verses 12 through 17? Let's read this. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. 
For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So those who abide in Christ will bear much fruit, will pray in faith, will know true joy, and last, we will walk in love. The distinguishing mark of a true disciple of Jesus is that we love. Notice what Jesus did not say in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you spend a lot of time arguing with each other on the internet. None of that is there. If you have love for one another, this is the clearest distinguishing mark of a true disciple of Jesus. And, and the greatest love that we demonstrate for each other is the same type of love that Christ demonstrated for us, that we'd be willing to lay our lives down for each other. I mean, church, the type of love Jesus has called us to is a literal, I would die for you kind of love. And this is what Jesus said in, in John 13, 35, where he said that greater love, but later on in John 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. Just think about what God has done for us. Even though we were enemies of God because of sin, Christ pays the ultimate price for our sin so that we can be saved while he willingly lays down his life for us on the cross. And more than that, verse 15, it says he now calls us friends. All through the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, all of the heroes of the faith, only two people are ever given the distinction of being a friend of God. It's Abraham and Moses. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture from Exodus 33. It says that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And if you listen to that, you're like, man, that sounds incredible. That sounds absolutely amazing. The promise of the gospel is that this is true for everyone who is united to Christ in faith. He calls us his friends. We become friends of God. And more than that, in spite of our sin and desperate need, Jesus chooses us. It's the age-old debate, did God choose us, did we choose him? Well, Jesus said he chose us. And, and while his disciples followed him, they made the decision to, to follow him, it was ultimately Jesus who first extended that invitation. The, the initiative in salvation is always the work of God. Paul says in Ephesians 4, this happened before the foundations of the earth. And the same is true for us. Christ sovereignly calls us and chooses us, but it doesn't negate our responsibility to follow. And why has he chosen us? Why is it that he's called us out of sin? Why is it that he has chosen us as his own? Here's how Jesus ties it all in verses 16 and 17. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So, so this is the end for which we have been saved in this life, that we will go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. And these things I command you that you will love one another. He's chosen us and he has appointed us, not just so we can say, my sins are forgiven, my ticket has been punched, I'm going to heaven. No, he's chosen us so that in this life, in the here and now, we can bear the fruit of his spirit in our world. And, you know, in, in light of everything that's been happening um, over the last few weeks, I want to close out our time here this morning by really focusing on this action-oriented component uh, of our faith, which is walking in love and um, bearing fruit. So I think we've established pretty clearly this morning, we, we are not saved by works, right? We're saved by grace through faith. Is everybody on the same page with, with that? We're, so we're, we're good. But we have been called, as those who have been saved by grace through faith, to bear fruits and to walk in the works that the Lord has prepared in advance for us to do. And, you know, I heard a pastor say recently, um, 
that the greatest problem facing the church today is that we have Christians who don't understand current cultural issues. And, and while I really appreciate the sentiment of what he was trying to say, I, I think there's actually a much deeper, more pervasive issue facing the church today. And it's not Christians not understanding cultural issues, it's Christians who don't quite understand Christianity. You know, there's a lot of conversation that is being had and that needs to be had about how we pursue justice as followers of Christ in this world. But that we are called to pursue justice as followers of Jesus is not up for debate. This is Christianity 101. When the vine dresser comes to inspect the vine, he comes seeking the fruit, not just of holy lives and righteousness, but of justice and the pursuit of justice in the world around. So I was uh, talking with a, a number of pastors who are friends that pastor up in the north. And, um, and we, we find sometimes we face an opposite dynamic in terms of uh, the types of issues that people really respond to positively and, and negatively. And so you know, here's something that, that I have experienced personally as a pastor in, in the south. You know, when, when you look at at uh, the, the church, particularly in the southeastern United States, we, we ask these questions, you know, do we bear the fruit of the kingdom? I mean, uh, unfortunately, I look over the last few months, I've seen uh, so much of this generation of, of Christians, we're uh, lives that, that demonstrate just no compassion, no empathy, our speech is divisive, it's hateful, it's condescending. We, we see this evidence by, by followers of Jesus who seem to pick and choose uh, what they're gonna be in support of or against based on how it fits uh, with the political narrative. And so here's, here's what I encounter typically as a pastor in the South. It's usually the opposite for my friends who pastor in the North. You know, every time I speak out against something like abortion, the need for systemic change, which I've done from this pulpit and we have done through our church budget, every time that happens, people say amen. Every time I speak out against pornography, it's inextricable link to human trafficking, the need for systemic change. Everybody's like, amen. Every time I speak out in favor of religious liberty and the need for systemic protections, everyone hears that and says, amen. The very moment I open up my mouth and speak out against racial prejudice or injustice, many of those same people who say amen will then cross their arms and say, you just need to focus on the gospel. And when we respond that way, it makes me wonder, do we truly understand the gospel? Because we, we certainly see a precedent for taking action in the culture rooted in what we believe about the message of the gospel. But God's word is clear from start to finish. Justice is not a negotiable element of what we believe about him and of what we believe about our responsibilities as the church. Again, how we pursue justice, that's a very nuanced conversation because you know, one of the very legitimate concerns that comes up when we start talking about Christians in justice conversation is the existence of a number of unbiblical ideologies that are completely antithetical to the Christian worldview that are out there shaping a lot of these conversations. And so listen, those of you who are in tune to these things, like is there a lot to be concerned about when it comes to critical race theory, to intersectionality? Like absolutely yes. But in my mind, this is all the more reason for us as followers of Jesus to engage these conversations because otherwise we are leaving it to the wisdom of man and to the philosophies of the world to bring about what Christ has already made possible for us. So again, just there's absolutely no confusion about where I am, where we as a church, we believe ultimately we are all made in the image of God as one single human race who have been made to be in relationship with God and with each other, but we have been divided by sin. And so, yes, at the core, sin is absolutely the root issue. Yes, at the core, the preaching of the gospel is the primary work of the church. But the outworking of the preaching of the gospel is that we be people who pursue justice. We seek justice. We have to be very, very careful because there's so many labels that are, I think, very mistakenly getting thrown out right now. Because being a follower of Jesus who's concerned about justice, this does not immediately make someone a cultural Marxist, a social justice warrior, a virtue signaler. It probably just makes them someone who loves God and knows their Bible. 
Listen to what God says about justice as, as one of his foundations. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. That's why when the vine dresser comes to inspect the vine, he does not just seek the righteous living of his people. He seeks how it is they pursue justice in the world. So, so listen, he, hear me out, church. Like, I, I do not at all believe that the solutions here are easy. I think there's a lot of vigorous discussion that needs to be had because, again, the last thing we want to do, even in pursuit of justice, is compromise God's word. God is never pleased when we compromise the message of the gospel and our calling as followers of Jesus in the name of making progress because it is possible to actually progress in the wrong direction. And we want to make sure that we guard against this. There need to be conversations, but we need to be engaged in these conversations because otherwise we are leaving them to be shaped by the ideologies and philosophies of man. So God isn't pleased when we compromise his word, but to say that we have no responsibility in the pursuit of justice, this is simply inconsistent with gospel witness. Sin is always a gospel issue, and anywhere that injustice exists, the body of Christ has a responsibility to be present. There's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of nuance that goes into it, but we, as followers of Christ, anywhere we see injustice, we should be present, because God hates sin, and we should be the first to confront it when we see the evils of it in our world. Because make no mistake, the vine dresser will come to inspect the fruit of the vine of our lives and of this church. And he's coming seeking the fruit of righteousness and justice. And the branches that do not bear this fruit will be cast into the fire. And so I just ask you this morning, are you abiding in the vine as evidenced by bearing the fruit of the spirit or are we walking in the sins of the flesh? Do we bear the fruit of righteousness and justice? Do you pray in faith according to his word and the power of his name? Are you walking in obedience to what he's commanded in his word? And have you experienced the fullness of joy in knowing Jesus? Because the invitation from Jesus from this passage is that we can call on him in faith. We become connected to the vine. We begin to bear fruit for his glory as we love our world with the sacrificial and life-giving love of Jesus Christ. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the evidence of that salvation is that we begin to bear fruit of righteousness through the holy living of our lives and justice as we seek to right the wrongs of this world without compromising our primary inheritance, which is to the advance the gospel of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child in every tribe, tongue, and nation to the ends of the earth. How we get involved, long conversation. That we be involved, not up to, to, for debate. This is our inheritance, this is what we're called to as followers of Jesus, to produce righteousness and justice for the sake of his name. So, Father, we come to you this morning and we praise you, we celebrate that we have had the freedom to gather here today. Father, weeks of being separate from one another, thank you that you have, uh, in this day, reunited your body, your church, here in Beaufort, South Carolina. We praise you for other churches who are doing the same thing this morning, who are able to, once again, many for, uh, who are seeing each other for the first time in weeks or even months, Father, it is our prayer in the midst of all of the brokenness that surrounds us in this world right now that we would be, as your word calls us to be, wise as serpents but innocent as doves. Because you've sent us out as sheep in the midst of wolves, but Father, we know that you have sent us. So help us to never hide behind the preaching of the gospel as an excuse to do nothing. Help us to remember that believing in the message of the gospel calls us and compels us to bear fruit and to do works for your name and for your kingdom. 
Help us to anchor ourselves to the promises of your word and to pray in faith. Help us to walk in loving, joyful obedience to all you've commanded in your word. Father, help us to walk in love, to be people of compassion, to be people of empathy, to be people of truth and of grace. So Father, we take your word this morning, will you use it to shape us throughout the course of our week, throughout our interactions with others. Will you be glorified, will you be exalted, magnified and honored as we sing. We ask all these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen, amen. Let's stand together and sing as we start to close our time together today. to you. 
Amen. Amen. You can be seated for, for just a moment. Uh, a few things I want to be able to share with you as we close out our time. Uh, man, just would love to say out loud how great it is to not preach to a camera uh, today. Um, so good to have you here. It's, it's even better, yeah, um, just to hear your voices again. Man, it's, uh, we are so grateful for the technology that has allowed us uh, to stay consistent online. But I think we all know uh, it's just, it's not totally the same. Nothing replaces the gathering of God's people. And so I hope um, the last few months have reignited a uh, desire for you uh, to, to continually and consistently gather uh, with the people of God as we're able. Recognize many of you watching online, uh, you may not be able to right now. And we want you to feel no guilt, no shame about uh, not gathering together uh, too quickly if you're not comfortable with that yet. And we completely understand. Um, we did email out this week a link for those of you staying at home. Uh, fill that out for us. Let us know that you're staying at home. We wanna continue serving. Where you are. For those of you who were here uh, this morning in the room, uh, if you complete a Next Steps card, that goes in the tower, uh, in the back of the room, the giving envelopes from the tower, uh, or by the tower in the back of the room as well. Those of you online, uh, online Next Steps card connected to the Facebook video along with the online giving link. If you're watching this later on Vimeo, you can go to our website, crosscommunity.org. Uh, online giving links are there along with uh, the Next Steps tab. Just follow that block on the homepage. That'll take you to the Next Steps um, card. But I want to be able to share with you a few things um, that have been happening over the last uh, few months, way more than we have time to this morning, but a couple of big uh, bigger highlights in particular. So uh, first is that we have a couple of new staff members uh, among us. Is, is Cole in the room right now? Did he? Nope, he's outside right now. So he may be in the overflow room right now. Cole Forrest, our new student minister, uh, he actually started with us right as all this was going. He worked remotely for a month. Like what a terrible time, right? To have to start a new role. He wasn't able to be with us in person for the first few months, but he's here today. I hope you have a chance to meet him before you leave. Um, so Cole, his wife Ashton have joined us. Cole's our full-time student minister. He's been working, uh, meeting with students online. Students will begin to regather uh, this coming week. So parents just stay tuned uh, for that information coming from Cole throughout the course this week. This past Friday night, uh, he had just a very sweet, intimate gathering with all of our high school seniors uh, who are graduating this year. And that was incredible just to have that time together with them. Um, he's been here such a short amount of time, but has already made an incredible uh, impact in his time here. So greet Cole this morning. Uh, also, Ms. Shay Shaw is in the corner over here. Shay, raise your hand for us. Good. Uh, she has joined. Yeah, welcome, Shay. Fantastic. Um, she is, uh, has, has come on working part-time with us as a, an assistant within our kids' ministry. So uh, Leandra needs all the help she can get, right? So I'm um, glad to have Shay uh, here assisting and helping and serving with us um, now as well. And then uh, one, another big win for us that's been developing the last couple of months. Uh, many of you know we currently have under contract a piece of property just a few minutes from here, uh, 14 acres at One Hamrick Drive. And uh, we've been going through a process with the uh, town of Port Royal uh, rezoning. And so there's one more meeting uh, with the Zoning Board of Appeals July 7th. Uh, everything so far has gone great. So all of the conversations with uh, the neighbors in that community, with uh, the town of Port Royal, the town council, uh, the, um, the, the uh, Metropolitan Planning Committee, all of those meetings have gone very, very well. We had the first uh, public reading of the rezoning uh, last week. And so Lord willing, if things continue to move forward favorably, uh, July 7th, we will know for sure that that property is gonna work. Uh, and if that happens, we will close the following week. And so we are very, very, very close right now. So just continue to pray for that. We'll keep you updated um, as things go. Uh, as far as we know, those meetings are still happening online the month of July. You could tune into the Town of Port Royal Facebook page and kind of see live. Um, you can join our staff in texting me, trying to make me laugh while I'm on a Facebook Live. Um, and uh, so, so all that's gonna be happening in the next few weeks. We have been working uh, already very closely with the design build firm that's gonna be walking us through all the stages of developing um, the property. And so there's just a lot that's been happening already. And our, our hope is that Lord willing, if we can close on this property, 
property mid-July. By uh, late summer, early fall, we will really be able to hit the ground running because the group we're working with has done about as much legwork as they can uh, before we we get there. And so um, so, so just continue to pray for this process as we'll keep you updated. Uh, And that's about all the time we have to share this morning. There's a lot of other things happening, but we'll uh, not unload too much on you right now. We'll we'll study that out. So um, last thing is is just please know uh, we're excited to regather, but um, we're not totally out of the woods yet. So, you know, there's a lot that we do not control as a church since this is not our facility. Uh, There are a number of government regulations that the YMCA is required to operate under as well. So while we're excited to be here this Sunday, glad we're here this Sunday, please understand uh, things could still change very, very quickly. And all of that is completely out of our control. And so our desire uh, is to be here as frequently and consistently as we can. That's why we just encourage you to stay up to date with announcements on uh, social media, through email. Uh, We will quickly, we will communicate as quickly as we possibly can as information comes to us. Hopefully it doesn't happen again like it happened in March where it's 10 o'clock Saturday night and we're like, hey, it's not going to work tomorrow. But we'll, uh, that could happen though, just understand. So we just need to be aware uh, that things could still quickly change. Hopefully they don't, um, but we just appreciate your flexibility, your continued prayer and support uh, as we navigate the craziness of this season. So uh, man, again, it's so good to see all of you here this morning. This group's got a little bit of extra time to linger if you want. Uh, Always helpful if you're willing to break down some of these chairs with our guys uh, this morning as we close things out. Um, But dads, as you leave today, there's a special something on the table for you uh, out the back corner of that door uh, as well. Next steps tables are over here. Uh, But let's stand together. Let's say our banner verse loud and proud from Psalm 45, 17. And then we will sing together as we close. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Guys, we love you so much. It was so good hearing your voices today, uh, and I look forward to that next week.